KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, September 7th. Why car-centric city planning continues in San Diego. That's next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 800 new COVID-19 cases on Monday and eight additional deaths. There were 11 more hospitalizations with two people sent to the ICU. About 86 percent of county residents have had at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Pandemic employment issues were at the top of mind on Labor Day. Some businesses are still feeling the sting of staff shortages. Angel Mendez is the manager of Taco Kings in Del Cerro. He's hoping that they'll be able to fill positions now that extra federal unemployment assistance is being discontinued. This is going good. But just labor, that's that's the main thing that we're struggling right now. Some argue that the labor shortages aren't because people don't want to work. It's because not everyone is offering a livable wage. The U.S. Navy has identified the five crew members who were declared dead after their helicopter crashed off the coast of San Diego a week ago. They are Lieutenant Bradley A. Foster, 29, a pilot from Oakhurst, California. Lieutenant Paul R. Fridley, 28, a pilot from Annandale, Virginia. Naval Air Crewman Second Class James P. Buriak, 31, from Salem, Virginia. Hospital Corpsman Second Class Sarah F. Burns, 31, from Severna Park, Maryland. Hospital Corpsman 3rd Class Bailey J. Tucker, 21, from St. Louis, Missouri. One sailor on board the helicopter was rescued. The helicopter had been part of the USS Abraham Lincoln, which is homeported in San Diego. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. San Diego's Climate Action Plan set ambitious goals to cut back on driving. The city has also endorsed Vision Zero, a movement to eliminate traffic deaths by making streets safer for pedestrians and cyclists. But KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says two recent street projects show the city often works against its own objectives. It's a sunny afternoon, and crowds of high schoolers are hanging out at Fair at 44, a brightly decorated plaza on El Cajon Boulevard between City Heights and Talmadge. In the corner sits Ana Rivera's food truck, Jibaritos de la Isla. Its Puerto Rican and Dominican cuisine is a hit with the neighbors. Our specialty is a plantain sandwich. Um, It's basically two fried plantains, lettuce, tomato, mayo, and then your choice of steak or pork. Business has been good for Rivera in the five months she's been at this location. But sometimes she fears for her customers' safety. 
While they sit and enjoy their food, cars zoom by on El Cajon Boulevard, one of San Diego's deadliest streets. Drivers often speed and run red lights. Rivera has seen some horrific crashes in one of them. The car was just totally flipped upside down. We had to, my husband had to pull the passengers out of the vehicle. Um, there was another accident that a car, you know, uh, hit another car and it, it ended up in the middle and the median and the driver was ejected through the passenger door. Given how dangerous El Cajon Boulevard is already, Rivera was shocked when she learned the city is planning on widening it further. It wants to shrink the size of the plaza and add a new right turn lane for motorists. I thought it was a little crazy. I thought it would add to a lot to the chaos that's already here. City traffic engineers are forcing the developer of an affordable housing project on this block to pay for the widening. It's another example of how car-centric planning has quietly continued in San Diego. That's despite pledges from city leaders to make streets safer and more pedestrian, bike, and transit-oriented. There's another example across town in Bay Park. One thing that you notice when you start to kind of walk along Marina Boulevard is that the sidewalks are not actually complete. Whitney Beard lives near a trolley station due to open in November. She says there aren't enough ways for pedestrians and bikes to safely access the station, so she's been organizing her neighbors to demand better. Yeah, we spent $2 billion on this trolley, and I mean, if you just kind of walk this road, it's just... There's literally no access if you're not in a car. It's, it's very dangerous, and it's, it's not good for the community. During construction of the trolley station, Morena Boulevard was narrowed from four lanes to two. Beard says she liked it better that way. Traffic got a little congested for like two weeks, and then after that, um, it was pretty smooth sailing, um, but the traffic was much slower. So you wouldn't go above 35 miles an hour on this road when it was one lane each way. But when construction ended, the road was widened again. Now drivers treat it like a freeway. Adding an extra lane, expanding the road capacity is oftentimes the first instinct of a traffic engineer. Colin Parent is executive director for the nonprofit think tank Circulate San Diego. He says the new goals set out in the city's climate action plan should have changed this driving first mindset. But just making a plan isn't enough. They're not self-executing policies. The city has to have implementing policies that are representative of the values that are in, in those larger documents. And a lot of cities, including San Diego, haven't caught up to the value statements that their elected officials um, have signed on to. Back where Ana Rivera's food truck sits, the construction to further widen El Cajon Boulevard hasn't started yet. It's scheduled to begin as soon as next month, but Rivera hasn't given up hope that Mayor Todd Gloria will intervene. It's something that we're not going to be able to reverse in the future, and I think the traffic is so bad right now. We need to be thinking more how we can reduce the traffic and reduce the speed of the cars. I think adding a lane isn't going to do that. I think adding a lane is just going to add more traffic, more cars, more accidents. The mayor has not yet said whether he'll stop the widening, but his press secretary sent KPBS the following statement. Like other issues we've inherited from the prior administration, the city needs to look back at this project and make sure it is consistent with Mayor Gloria's goals. And that reporting from KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. The summer racing season at the Del Mar racetrack ended on Monday. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. The Del Mar racetrack concludes its summer season today. Joe Harper, the president of the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club, says although this season was different because of COVID, it didn't disappoint. 
So it was a tremendous year. This will be the best year ever in Del Mar's history uh, for total uh, betting handle. And it'll gonna be up to uh, uh, over half a billion dollars uh, for 31 days. So give me a warm, fuzzy feeling. Harper says the daily average for this season was around $18 million. And he says part of its success was the loss of sporting events last year that brought new interest to horse racing. A lot of those sports bettors came over to, to racing. You know, you can bet on your phone uh, uh, pretty much anywhere in the country now. With more eyes on the horse races, Harper says safety is one of their priorities. The California Horse Racing Board shows four equine fatalities in Del Mar since the start of the season. Three of them happened during training. What we worry about is the things that we can control. And so we've, we've spent millions of dollars on the, the dirt you see behind me. Uh, making it as safe as possible. We've hired uh, a number of veterinarians to watch these horses not only in the afternoon but in the morning. Harper hopes Del Mar will be named the safest track again this year. But Ellen Erickson, an animal activist, says it's not a title they deserve. It is not the safest racetrack. And Joe Harper can lie about the industry. Horses are being abused and they are being overdrugged. They are pushed to race fast and in pain on massive amounts of medication to mask their pain, and it's animal abuse. Harper says they have also been working with the health department to ensure safety among staff and visitors. We have a thousand uh, employees on the backstretch, and uh, uh, and I'm grateful to say that well over 90% of them are, have been vaccinated. Uh, we had uh, very few positives, uh, maybe one or two. Safety for visitors also means reduced capacities. Opening day was a ticket-only event. I think we're going to do that every opening day because it was much easier for people to get around. Um, you know, our opening days here, when, the, when you get 40,000 people in this facility, it's... Uh, it's jam-packed. Walk-up tickets were available later in the season, but concerts did not make a return. The fall meet kicks off on November 3rd with the Breeders' Cup returning to Del Mar for the second time. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. The racetrack confirmed a fifth racehorse was euthanized after getting hurt during one of the final races on closing day. Mexican leaders have been slammed by critics for their harsh crackdown on migrants at its southern border. From the Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, KJZZ's Kendall Blust reports that the Mexican president now says he will pressure the United States to address the poverty and violence that spur people to flee Central America. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador says the U.S. should do more to address the root causes of migration from Central America. Porque no podemos... He says detaining migrants who are trying to reach the U.S. isn't a good enough strategy. Instead, he wants the U.S. to put greater effort into development projects like tree planting, youth education, and temporary visa programs. His comments come in the wake of outcry over recent images of Mexican immigration agents and National Guard using force to confront Central American and Haitian migrants headed north. López Obrador says his government is trying to stop them from taking a risky journey, but many say they're tired of waiting in southern Mexico for long, delayed asylum hearings. And that was KJZZ's Kendall Blust reporting from Hermosillo. Coming up, 
After you've lost your home to wildfire in California, red tape makes rebuilding no easy task. We're exhausted. I'm, I'm personally exhausted. I just wish that they would find ways to alleviate some of the stressors that are being put on us. That's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. One year after wildfires devastated communities in the Santa Cruz Mountains, residents are still struggling. One of the problems? Strict county building codes. As KAZU's Jeremiah Edding reports, new rules could soon cut through the red tape. Watch your step. This got destroyed during debris removal, so it can be a little slippery. Antonia Bradford is showing me around her property near Boulder Creek. Charred redwood trees stretch into the sky, towering over the brick foundation where her home once stood. The trees survived last year's CZU fires and are providing much needed shade on this hot mid-August day. But Bradford's home was destroyed and a new home has yet to replace it. We're trying to make do and survive. A year after the CZU fires destroyed her home, Bradford still hasn't received the green light from Santa Cruz County to rebuild. And she's not alone. 911 homes were lost in the fires, and so far, the county has issued just 31 building permits for single-family homes. But a recent move by Santa Cruz County supervisors might expedite the process. They committed to relieving some of the pressure on fire survivors stuck in what, for many, is the biggest hurdle to rebuilding, the geology inspection. That slope right there that you see, which is completely inundated with trees and is- Like many properties in the Santa Cruz Mountains, Bradford's home was built on a historic debris flow an area where fast-moving landslides occurred sometime in the past. That could have been hundreds, even thousands of years ago. But that means the debris flow could happen again in the future. The current county building codes require that she mitigate those hazards. Bradford's general contractor said it would cost her 25000 to do so. Jeff Nolan, the county geologist, said for some other properties, mitigations could cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Bradford says the rules need to change. She doesn't believe fire survivors should have to mitigate for hazards that already existed on the land before the fire. For many fire survivors already struggling to rebuild, the current requirements are prohibitively time-consuming and expensive. We're exhausted. I'm, I'm personally exhausted. I just wish that they would find ways to alleviate some of the stressors that are being put on us. And she's not the only one. At an emotionally charged county supervisor's meeting last week, Bradford and other fire survivors demanded the county ease up on the geology requirements. My kids want to go home. I want to go home. I lost everything. Please stop taking this from me. But we have hundreds of families in this situation, and we can get out of this geo hell with a bit of prudent leadership. Please consider to allow us to rebuild our homes without evaluating and mitigating these geological hazards. The Board of Supervisors unanimously agreed something needs to be done to help fire survivors. So now the county staff are working to adjust these requirements. Dave Reed is a senior analyst at OR3, the county's Office of Response, Recovery, and Resilience. We want to try and thread that difficult needle between 
life safety and property safety and their need to get back onto their property and into their homes. But threading the needle may be easier said than done. Jeff Nolan, the Santa Cruz County geologist, says changing the county code raises complex legal questions. And the codes were created to keep people safe. Relaxing them comes with a risk. If three years down the road, somebody's family gets washed down the San Lorenzo River, there's going to be some questions. Is why weren't these people re- required to develop a, a site safely? But there is an alternative in the works. Community scale mitigations. A comprehensive debris flow study is underway in the Santa Cruz Mountains that will identify major hazards across the landscape. The county could use that data to construct barriers and other mitigations that would protect entire neighborhoods from hazards, like debris flows. The community scale protections would add some peace of mind for residents who waive the geologic hazards requirement, an option Bradford hopes will be on the table in the near future. Okay, this feels positive, and it does, but I'm also like a little jaded at this point, you know? So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. The planning department and OR3 are expected to bring some options to the Board of Supervisors no later than September 14th. Until then, fire survivors will continue to wait. And that was KAZU's Jeremiah Edding reporting. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.